0: Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you move your mouth, I bet you come way downside. And don't tell me, let me guess, you from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough listening to you talk that stuff.
0: to talk money on am 990 and now here's your host jim shoemaker
2: welcome to talk money i'm jim shoemaker this program is devoted to helping you with your financial life by assisting you in getting your financial house in order we're dedicated to assist you in the confusing financial world where you are exposed to more information Than you've ever seen before. I mean, it's coming to you like a fire hose. We're going to try to make some sense to it to help you develop your financial roadmap in order to achieve your financial dreams and desires. We're about giving you direction on knowing the difference between somebody selling you something or somebody truly trying to provide you with helpful advice and guidance. We bring insights from our other professionals, financial professionals, to help you avoid emotionally driven decisions. And that is so difficult in the financial world. And that's why it's important to know how to do that in Money Matters. We discuss quality products and ways to make selections on which product is best for you. Talk Money is about giving you information to help you make the most of your money. Well, today's program is, I mean, we are going to encourage you and give you some insight, entertain you, Most important, though, this is a knowledge bunch today. We have some guys that are extremely smart, and we're going to help you with the misconceptions about bond investing. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have. I mean, I'm going to make a safe investment. My portfolio is all designed. It's got a lot of bonds in it, so it must be safe. Well, We're going to find out about that. We're going to dive into that in in the weeds and really pull that apart with Drew Johnson when he comes on the program. He's a retake from last week because we were into the program and just literally ran out of time. So I've asked him to come back. We're going to go through four or five true misconceptions about bond investing. The second half of the program, though, is really an analytical program. For you guys that are analytics, you don't want to miss this because you're going to find out that we're going to be looking in-depth to how do you select a mutual fund group. How do you decide the manager of that particular fund is really the one that should be managing a part of your portfolio. The Director of Investments from from Shoemaker Financial, Keith Quinn, he's going to be a part of the program in the second half. Obviously, he'll be a part of the program in the first half with Drew, but we're going to really move through that. How do you select a fund? That's critical because we do it every day, but we're going to try to give you some insight into helping you understand what's really going on. So you don't want to miss this program. You're listening to Talk Money. And as I told you, we're here to help you make the most of it. Well, that's really our dedication and our focus. And the whole concept is to listen to a program by two guys that's going to dive in to give you some insight. So stay with us. When you come back, Keith Quinn, Drew Johnson, misconception of bonds, and how do you make a selection in a portfolio? You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
1: Are you aging? Well, I am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning,
0: elder law, And probate needs, it's what we do. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives Security and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest today is Keith Quinn and Drew Johnson. Now, let me explain something. Last week, if you were listening to the program, Drew was going through misconceptions, popular misconceptions about bond investing. And I tried to extend the program, and no, and, oh, I had—you could tell—I had a lot of authority here to do that—and found out that, uh, you know, at nine o'clock it was news, and after that was Dave Ramsey. They just uh, looked at me and said, "You got to be kidding." So we asked Drew to come back, and now, you know, I'm only kidding. We knew that we couldn't do that, but Drew has been gracious, and so is Quick Keith to come back in today's program. And because we were talking about a huge subject misconceptions about bond investing. In fact, Drew, welcome to the program, sir. Keith, welcome to the program. Thank Thank you for having us. You know, guys, we were into a very, very good discussion, Drew, about people that that have a tendency to say, well, I'm in bonds, so therefore my risk is low. Well, they don't feel like they have any risk, and I think that's a very common
3: misperception that you're in bonds and it's safe, you don't have to think about it, and that's just not true.
2: So... Go back through that first misconception, bonds are safe. What does that statement mean? And help me define what it's what you're saying.
4: Right. And, and first, just to start off with, we're not making any recommendation for or against bonds here.
2: Right. I uh, get that. We need to make sure right. everybody understands that. This is not whether you buy bonds or don't buy bonds. We're just helping you with the aspect of investing and what are some of the misconceptions.
4: Right. And so... Let's take that first statement, bonds are, quote, safe. Well, it sounds like a clear thing to say, but it's it's really not. You know, what does that statement mean? Uh, we've got to really define our terms here. So I'm going to start off by what is what is a bond? And, I mean, I ask people this question, and a lot of them are like, well, actually, I don't know. What, what is a bond? Well, a bond is a loan that an investor makes to a corporation, a government, an agency, or any other organization in exchange for interest payments over a specified term plus repayment of principal at the bond's maturity date. So to give a good analogy, it's a lot like renting an apartment from the landlord's perspective. The landlord has a unit that a tenant wants to rent, so the landlord loans the unit to the tenant. The tenant, in return, makes regular rent payments to the landlord, and then at the end of the lease, gives the unit back. The bond, you're loaning money to some organization, and if they if that organization lives up to their end of the bargain, they pay you regular interest payments, and then at the end of the term, they pay back the money that you loaned them in the first
3: place. Right, that, so if you're a corporation, I give you $1,000, you pay me some interest for giving you my $1,000, and then at the end of the term, you give me my $1,000 back. That's exactly right. Uh,
4: that's how bonds are supposed to work, but as we know, not all bonds are created equal. Uh, you Not only do you have bonds that can be issued by different organizations like governments and corporations or even cities or counties or, or states, um, but you've also got uh, different levels of, uh, of credit ratings for those organizations. Uh, you know, if you're you could have one person say, like, oh, if I if I loan this money uh, to this person, you know, I know that they're going to they're going to pay me back with interest and and they'll they'll pay back early. But then you might have someone else where. Uh, you may not get your money back at all, or you might get it late, and and so corporations and governments are ranked uh, by their overall uh, credit rating, their ability to repay their loans, and that's very important for understanding uh, bonds. Uh, and so when we're talking, so that so that's that's the first part of our of our statement here. Bonds are safe when we're talking about. Uh, what does the word "safe" mean when we're talking about we're talking about investing? Let's just go. Let's crack open the dictionary, and we'll look at you know, Merriam-Webster defines "safe" as free from harm or risk, or secure from the threat of danger, harm, or loss. And so, how would we apply these ideas to the two components of a bond: the interest payments and the final principal payment? So are are interest payments safe in the sense that they're free from risk? Well, let's let's talk about where the interest payments are coming from. Uh, Any organization uh, that's making interest payments to a lender can sustainably do so only if they're continuing to receive revenue uh, from some source. And the ability of various organizations to predictably receive future revenue varies quite widely. Uh, depending on the kind of, of, of company or organization that it is. Uh, governments will typically achieve their future revenue through their, through their taxing power. If they need more money, they simply take it. So if you own a, a government bond, you know, they, will, they will gladly uh, take money out of one, uh, one pocket and, and then put it right back in to, uh, to cover their interest payments. Uh, now,
3: that's not always how governments cover their interest payments. And, and not all governments are as safe as others. As we said, oh, not all bonds are created equal. Exactly. Not all governments are created equal.
4: Oh, yeah, ex- absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, but then not all governments uh, necessarily use their taxing power to finance their bonds. Uh, municipalities, let's say you've got a city that uh, you know, decides to build a, a, a recreation center you know they and they may issue bonds to help pay for you know building that center but then they might use uh, revenue from that center uh, in order to pay that loan back rather than relying on their on their taxing power and that's that's where knowing uh, that's where a lot of bond you know analysts really have to do their research to you know make sure that they've priced those bonds correctly
2: all right now let me make sure that we get everybody to understand we're talking about the safety of a bond and the misconception here is that people Buying a bond, quote-unquote, bond, says, I have a safe investment. And what you're telling us is that interest payments comes from the revenue of the bond. A bond is really looking at what that revenue is being generated to pay their interest payments.
4: Exactly. It's not like that money was already sitting there. They have to continue to make money in order to service that debt. And what
2: Keith was saying is that not all bonds are created equal, so no, whether it's a government bond of the United States or a government bond from Brazil or whatever, again, we're not making recommendations about bond, whether to buy bonds or not. We're just talking about the general principles of bond investing and the misconception that we're trying to work through here is the safety of a bond. And I think it's to let everybody know that we're not saying bonds aren't safe. We're just simply saying you better know what you're buying when you buy a bond.
4: Exactly. Uh, but then when you're when you talk about how it, how corporations you know, versus governments raise their revenue. Well, I mean, as we all know, you know, corporations can only receive revenue by essentially by by selling their products or selling their services. And they're doing so in competition with other corporations and not just American corporations, but corporations all over the world. Uh, and they have to innovate. They have to improve efficiency. They have to come out with new products. They have to market properly. Um And so forth, and so a company we we see companies go go in and out of business all the time. A company that is a is a profitable, uh, innovating enterprise today, you know, could be yesterday's
3: news tomorrow. It could it could become unprofitable in the future. Absolutely, I'm sure WorldCom bonds bonds look great Uh, until WorldCom was no more. Lehman Brothers the same way. Exactly,
4: Um, and so. Interest payments are not safe in the sense that they're free from risk. It's always going to depend on the ability of that organization that you bought the bonds from uh, to continue to receive revenue. Now let's look at another component of the definition. You know, are interest payments safe in the sense that they are secure from the threat of loss? Uh, you know, as we talked about a second ago, you I mean companies can become unprofitable from a, a big variety of causes, and it's it's always going to be. Unpredictable. You just don't know what the future is going to bring in terms of new technology, new innovation. Um, and if a company goes through a, a long, sustained period of, of unprofitability, uh, you typically one of two things is going to happen. A company is either going to go bankrupt or it's going to be get acquired by another, uh, more profitable company.
2: All well, right, but, but now, guys, here's what I want us to make sure, because you're walking through this in a very good, solid way. But we're, we're, we want people to understand that we look at stocks, bonds, and cash. Stocks, you're actually buying stock in the company.
4: A partial ownership of right. the company. You become an owner of the company. And
2: therefore, you have almost no stance. You're just a part owner. If the company does great, you're rewarded. company does bad, you're not. A bond, as you said earlier, is a debt.
4: Correct. So right.
2: you do have some rights as a debtor. I mean, the bond has rights as a debtor. In other words, you're the creditor. You're giving the money back, back to what you said. So you have some rights, but you do. You- you're still, we don't want people to think the misconception is well, I I gave them my money. I'm guaranteed my money back that's what we're trying to say not to do.
3: Right. And some of the Correct. differences you think about being an equity holder in a company, you might be getting a dividend payment. Well, a company can absolutely suspend the dividends. Right. And right. they can't necessarily suspend the interest payments on a bond. But then, as Drew would tell you, you know, when you get towards a bond and let's say a company doesn't do well and they do start to go through bankruptcy proceedings, well, then it matters where you are in the capital structure. Some people get paid back before others. Uh, some bonds are secured by the assets of the company. Those bonds are going to get paid first. Some are lower or higher-yield bonds more risky. Those bonds typically aren't going to get paid at all, so By the a lot way, the more
2: company can now uh, issue both types Absolutely, of bonds. Absolutely, and I can do. Just because you're buying from this A high-quality domestic big company. Have different types of it, debt. different right, types of debt. Their debt structure can be structured in many, many different ways, so right. that's important to keep going. All right, Drew, I didn't mean to exactly. interrupt you, but that those are things. I'm just thinking, I'm listening, thinking about the listener and as always, you do a great job of walking through this and you're doing it.
3: Bonds are complicated. Yeah. Equities are pretty straightforward, but bonds are complicated. Very complicated. B- yeah, bond, bonds are
4: complicated, uh, but they, they do occupy a higher spot in the uh, in the capital structure of a company than stocks do. You do have uh, more protection in the event of a bankruptcy. Uh, but even even then, it's really going to depend on on the situation. Uh, you know, a, a good example that, that we can all remember that's, that's within recent memory – uh, would be the, the auto bailout from you know, early and uh, mid, middle of uh, 2009. Uh, in that, in, in one instance, the case of, of GM, uh, the bondholders uh, had to exchange their bonds for an equity stake in the reorganized company uh, you know, after it went through bankruptcy, and they got a, a 10% stake in the new company. So they, they lost whatever future interest payments they were going to get from their bonds. They lost the principal payment, and they only got a 10 percent stake in what was left of the right. of the original company in which the federal government owned uh, most of it. And then the unions owned a good chunk of of the rest. Um, and that and GM was a, you know, a large established you know, company with a, a, a long history. And so now that that's a pretty extreme case. But but there's something more fundamental here. But uh, bonds, just like a lease on an apartment, like a, I gave in my example earlier, are the interest payments are are contractually set for a limited period of time. And so it doesn't ultimately matter at the end of the day how great that company is. The interest payments from that specific bond that you bought are going to end because that's just the way that bonds work. They're not stocks that are that where the company could just go on indefinitely and continue to pay dividends potentially. Those interest payments are going to end, and when they do, you're going to have to decide what to do uh, with that money—whether to reinvest it or or not.
2: Well, let me summarize it. Help us summarize this. Are they free of risk? No, no. Well, what do you? How, how do you put that together then?
4: Know what well, you own. Yeah, know what you own. I mean, they're they're they are they're not free from risk. I mean, it because of the inherent uncertainty. And planning future revenue that, that companies and organizations have to do. Uh, they, they're they not always going to protect investors from a loss of principal if, if a company has to go through a bankruptcy. Uh, and they're not going to protect you from a loss of future income just
3: because bonds only last for a limited time. I would say one thing, and we think about this all the time, and Drew and I talk about it when we're talking about in the context of asset allocation, what bonds often do is they take the big loss off the table. Yes. You're not going to have the 57% loss we saw in the S&P 500 in 2008, and that's why bonds are ballast in a portfolio.
2: So uh, we'll talk later about what the fact that there is this integration sometimes between bonds and stocks and this counterbalance, and we talk about that. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shubaker. My guests today, Keith Quinn and Drew Johnson, we're talking about popular misconceptions about bond investing. Now, I want to remind you, we're not talking about recommending whether you buy your bonds or own or not own bonds. That's not, and we're not recommending any, any particular bond. The whole thought process is we're just dealing with misconceptions. What about a bond? Should you own it? That's the whole problem. That's the whole issue. When we come back, we've got a couple of more misconceptions. Individual bond yields, they don't change. We're going to find out maybe, maybe they do. And we're going to find out more about how, exactly what that means. So stay with us. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Drew Johnson are my guests. And we'll be back right after this.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM 990. We're talking about misconceptions about bond investing. My guests, Drew Johnson and Keith Quinn. And we are, I mean, we're into the weeds. This is really, really good stuff. If you're an investor and if you're thinking about the whole process of building your financial roadmap and you're looking at trying, you're, you're trying to work through your retirement, you're working on your 401k, or you just want to have a little bit extra knowledge. Well, that's what you're getting today. We're giving you that little extra understanding about really about, you know, what do I do when I make investments with bonds? I want to remind you, though, we're not recommending anything about whether whether you buy or don't buy for or against bond investing. That's not the purpose. We're just educating you, talking about misconceptions. Our first one, of course, we talked about the safety. Everybody says bonds are safe, and we tried to help you understand that's Sometime a misconception. You need to understand it. Well, the second one is individual bond yields don't change. Well, let's make sure we understand what that means. So, Drew... What does it mean when we say yield? Well,
4: when we're talking about yield, there there are several different definitions of it, but there are two that really come into play with what we're talking about here. Uh, the first is the is the coupon yield. And that's the that's the interest rate that's established when a bond is issued. So, if you get you got you got a thousand dollar bond and a five percent interest rate, that means that, that bond is going to be paying you fifty dollars a year over the life of that bond for whatever the term is. That dollar amount doesn't change. And so, in a so it's partly true that the yields don't change. The coupon yield doesn't change. Uh, but what we're talking about uh, when we're talking about uh, yield with regard to the bond markets, what we're talking about is uh, the coupon yield, the dollar amount that is, divided by the, the current market price of the bond. So, what happens is when a bond's market price declines, its yield actually goes up because the, the coupon payment is is a higher percentage of the price. And as the bond's yield goes down, its price goes up. So the two move inversely.
3: Right. The easy way to think about it, it's like a seesaw. You've got the price of the bond on one end. You've got the yield on the other. When one goes up, the other one goes down. Exactly.
2: And is so, that universal, guys? Is that just Yes. yes. Bonds
3: are math. Yes. yes. That's right. so, That is universal. So
2: help me with the math. I mean, you said that. What causes the yield to go up or down?
3: Well, like we said, it, it, it's a function of the price. So, price is supply and demand. So, we see that all the time with the treasuries. Uh, you know, with the treasury yield going down, that means the price of the treasuries is going up. That means people are bidding into treasuries. That's typically what we see with a risk-off scenario. People are buying up treasuries, causes the yield to drop because the price goes up.
4: Right. It's like people are uh, companies and organizations are issuing new bonds all the time. So let's let's say that the that the prevailing you know yield in the market's been five percent, and a, a company issues uh, new bonds for six percent. Now, let me ask you this. Would any rational investor spend the same amount of money to buy one bond that earned 5% and another bond that earned 6%? Nope, I want the sixth one. Exactly. And Are so, you a rational investor? Well, that's probably not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably not a good example. <laughs> that's a great example. <laughs> exactly. Great example. And so the only way to, to keep those bonds you know, trading at parity with one another is for the price of the lower yielding bond to go down as newer bonds are issued that have higher interest rates. All right. As
2: an investor, should I get concerned about that? Should I, should I try to sell my bond because it's moving like that?
4: Well, if you, if you do that, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to be selling at a loss. You're going to have to lose money to make money, in essence, because you're going to be selling that bond for less than what you bought it for in order to get an interest rate that's higher, that you won't be able to enjoy for at least another you know year or so, because you're having to to break even from having to sell at a loss. And so,
3: so no. It, and, and yeah, with all individual investors, it's you know the answer is always it depends, and it just right. depends on the situation, it depends on the bonds, it depends on the maturity, it depends on what price you paid for when you bought it because you probably didn't buy it at par. So there's a, there's a lot of variables that come into bond investing, and that's why we are saying they were complicated.
2: All right, you just use the term that the person listening. Didn't, didn't get it. What is, Don't answer now. We can come back. I want to know what par means. And really, what we need to say is that movement does really matter. Absolutely. And we need to understand it and not get fearful of it. It does matter, but we don't need to jump and get concerned about it. So you just tuned in. I am talking with two very educated men. That's Drew Johnson and Keith Quinn. We're talking about Fiduciary responsibilities coming up, but right now we're dealing with misconceptions about bond investing. In fact, you will want to stay with us because we're going to dive in. How do you select a mutual fund? That's going to be Keith Quinn. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this.
5: Memphis changed forever in 1909 when W.C. Handy first came to Bill Street. A song originally written for E.H. Crump's mayoral race established Handy as the first blues musician when the sheet music was published three years later under the title Memphis Blues. After his parents wouldn't let him buy a guitar, Handy devoted every spare moment of his time to playing a cornet. As a young man, Handy worked odd jobs and played in orchestras from Alabama to Indiana until forming a successful band in 1893. But the constant touring and low pay wore on Handy, who traveled with his band until they finally settled in Memphis, where through his writing and playing, he fused his own African-American heritage with American culture as a whole. His music brought people together, and his popularity spanned across racial divides in a radically new way. Although Handy rests in peace today, he lives forever in the Memphis blues. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. I am talking with Keith Quinn and Drew Johnson. Drew is actually walking through us with popular misconceptions about bond investing. In a few minutes, we're going to let Keith going to give us the insight of his job when he sits behind his desk. All the questions that he thinks about, the concerns, the analytics about picking a mutual fund. It's not as easy as you think. You don't just go to one, how did it do last year and decide you're going to use it this year. That is not the way to make an investment in a mutual fund group. We're going to find out from Keith how to exactly what he goes through step by step to do that. But before we get that, we're talking about yield and does it matter? The misconceptions of bonds. And I guess, you know, Drew, this, this is a whole deal. I mean, it may seem like you know yield is an academic matter. You know, right. it kind of gets into math, as you talked about. Right. I like the way you said seesaw. One goes up, one goes down. That's great. But the relationship between bond yields and bond prices does matter to the investor.
4: Right. And the uh, you know the the price comes first, and the yield follows. We're about bonds that are in in the market. Um, bond prices are determined by supply and demand, just like basically everything else is. Uh, most, uh, we're talking about treasuries, for example, you know, mo- central banks, many, many central banks own U.S. treasuries for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, interestingly enough, the biggest holder of U.S. debt is actually the U.S. government itself uh, at about $2.8 trillion. Uh, But other central banks own treasuries as well. So to kind of give an example, you know, Saudi Arabia has the, is the 12th largest foreign holder of U.S. debt. And there are plenty of reasons for this. They're a big oil producing country. Uh, but last year... As oil prices were falling, they had quite a bit of budget deficits uh, from those falling oil prices, and they sold about twenty-five percent of their stake in U.S. government debt, which about thirty and a half billion dollars or so. Uh, China, at the same time, they were doing that. China and Japan were selling some of their stake as well, that flooded the market, which the, the supply increased and the price dropped. And when that happened, the yield went up, and that's that's how that happens. Uh, It's who's buying the treasuries, who's selling the treasuries. That determines the supply and demand, and that's what
3: drives the yield. And And another great example of—sorry, Drew, didn't interrupt you—but all of the different factors that can that can impact a bond's price, and definitely on the impact the yield. Exactly, the price of oil.
4: I mean, it's all different things, and it's completely unpredictable.
2: So people need to understand if they're going to make an investment in the bond portfolio, and they're going to—they should allow the professional who does it every day. Pick one. Pick the group. Pick the you know the multitude of bonds they may be using. Buying and selling bonds should be done by someone who knows what they're doing.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely,
2: very complicated. You did a great job of explaining it to us. If you just tune in, that's Drew Johnson. He's worked through some misconceptions about bond investing. Now there's a lot more to it, and Drew, we'll we'll come back because there's some things that we still need to to get back into on this program. But Keith, I want to move to your segment of the program, because so many people, we get this question all the time, Right? probably the the number one question, how do you select mutual fund groups? How do you right. manage, how do you work through and select that manager? Now, you do this every day. You're constantly involved. So help me with this. I know you have a, a system. You work through a lot of different things. So what are some of the minimum things that you start out with? What's the first thing?
3: Absolutely. And I'll give you the kind of the 30,000-foot view because we really do dig into them pretty deeply when we're looking at mutual fund managers. And we're talking about mutual funds, and that's an open-ended investment. They're established pursuant to the Investment Company Act of 1940. There's a lot of advantages to that. You get some transparency as far as what the managers are doing, as far as the holdings, the expenses, things like that. And that's all the things that we like to see. So one of the things that we look at to begin with is we look at how long has this mutual fund been around. Mm. And if a fund hasn't been around for at least three years, we're really just not going to consider it. And that's the kind of thing you should look at. Because number one, it's really easy to have a short-term number that looks awfully good. And we like to see a track record. We like to see a fund, a management and investment philosophy that's worked through different market cycles. So that's definitely one of the first things that we look at. And that will exclude a lot of things because this is a big business. And there are always a lot of new funds coming onto the market. Market.
2: You know, it's amazing. If you go back probably 30, 25, 30 years ago, you're right. It oh, my gosh. There know, wasn't, wasn't, that, wasn't that, many that many at all. And today, it's somebody's coming on all the time.
3: Well, I pulled the number just to see what it was. And, and this is misleading as well. And it just goes to Drew's misconceptions about bonds. There's a number out there that would say there's twenty eight thousand three hundred and seventy six mutual funds. Well, that's not exactly th- true. There are 28,376 different share classes of different mutual funds, but there's about 8,400 mutual funds to choose from. But 8,400 is still an awfully an big awesome list to big try and pick, a, pick a manager from.
2: Big list. You're exactly right. So, first of all, number one, minimum track record, in last year doesn't always just count.
3: Last year, past performance is indicative of very little, so we don't put a whole lot of weight on that. But now, so let's say a fund has been around for 10 years. Well, then we want to look and see how long has the actual manager of that fund been around. So in other words, if something was uh, happened to the management team, a manager left last year, there's a new guy at the helm, he's only been there a year, well, then we don't like that because we like to see his track record or the team's track record. Again, the longer, the better. You want to see how they manage through different market cycles, and you also want to see if they stick with their investment Philosophy. And that's one of the things that's really important to us that they follow through on what they say they're going to do. Well,
2: now, you know, that's a huge statement when you say investment philosophy. Does, is that an indication that we see managers change their? I mean,
3: absolutely they will. Sometimes you'll see a manager that's trying to make up ground. Perhaps they've had some underperformance and they'll go outside of their mandate to try and make up that performance. You know, avoid that like the plague. You do not want a manager who's chasing the market.
2: Okay. So, so. Or protecting themselves.
3: Or protecting themselves. That's, Sometimes you'll have what we call a closet index, or perhaps they'll have a pretty good return, and they take their foot off the gas and they just try not to lose, and then that's not a great way for a, an active manager to manage either.
2: Great point. Okay, now, assets in the investment. I mean, right. There's a lot of
3: reasons for this. And, and, you know, we like to see at least $75 million. And frankly, we like to see a lot more than that. And because these are open ended mutual funds, that means at the end of the day, if investors want their money back at the close of business, the manager has to give it to them. So if they don't have a lot of assets in that investment, they may be forced to liquidate holdings they wouldn't normally want to sell to give that investor his money back. So that puts them at real risk of having to run on the fund. So we like to see the more assets, the better. And frankly, a lot of the better mutual funds will have billions of. The dollars and assets. All
2: right, let's talk about that. Now, here, here we have money coming into uh, a, a an investment group, a manager, mutual fund. Right, they're going to take the money and go and buy according to what they say. Their 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 asset class is
3: exactly Help right. Help me
2: with that. What is what do you mean by
3: that? Right. So let's say we have a manager that is going to be a U.S. large cap growth manager.
2: Okay, large cap would be something like the S and P 500.
3: Exactly now, right. It would be it would be something like the S and P 500, the biggest companies in this country. They're going to go out and buy those companies. Now, the other distinction was growth. So they're going to go out and buy large growth companies. And there's lots of different ways to look at growth. One of the ways we look at it is price to earnings, price to book. So the more expensive a company is, the more you're willing to pay for that earnings, the more you're willing to pay for that growth because you think there's going to be more growth, or that book would be a more growth-oriented company. And that's what these guys would go out and buy. The alternative would be value. The alternative would be value. A safer company, more established, less growth on the earnings side, but perhaps paying a dividend. So it's a, they're very complementary, and That's why a lot of times you would want to own both. But here's the key. If he's a large-cap growth manager, I want him to invest in large-cap growth companies. I don't want him all of a sudden to think value's in favor and then start buying value companies because I have another manager in the portfolio that's buying value. All
2: right, now what you just talked about is style, right? That's
3: exactly right.
2: All right, so now when we come back, I kind of want to understand style, consistency, because you really watch that. You really make sure that they're staying focused on what they're trying to do. That's a part of the selection process. So if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Keith Quinn. We're talking about selection criteria for mutual funds, a mutual fund group. Sometimes people are buying just mutual funds. We you're not buying stocks bonds or putting any money in cash you're buying mutual funds and depending on the manager to do what you've asked him to do and what keith's given you is the selection process he's talked about track record he's talked about consistency with management he's talked about understanding the whole you know what are they trying to do the consistent the asset class when he comes back i want to understand style consistency do they drift He's talked about large cap and value, so that's going to be our topic when we come back. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Keith Quinn, Drew Johnson. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
0: You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Are you aging? Well, I
1: am. This is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and your future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call us at 901-843-2760 or visit us at thebaileylawfirm.com. Again, this is Mac Bailey from the Bailey Law Firm telling you that today is the youngest you will ever be. Let us help you with your estate planning, elder law, and probate needs, it's what
0: we do. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax and or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax and or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax and or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker.
2: And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guests today Keith Quinn and Drew Johnson. We've been talking about misconceptions of bonds and then we move to a very popular subject. In fact, it's one of the number 1 questions when you ask us. Again, just just simply go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com if you've got a question. And we're answering that today because so many people said, well, how do you guys select a fund manager? And Keith Quinn is in charge of that at Shoemaker Financial, does a great job. Before the break, we were talking about growth and value, large-cap growth, large-cap value, style. That's really what that is, Keith. Is style is growth-oriented or you know value-oriented. Right. He defined it for us, but your concern, when you start the process,
3: style consistency. Style consistency. If they're growth manager, we want them to stick with growth stocks. And again, it's because we have another manager in the portfolio that's buying value and we don't want to have overlap. The last thing on earth you want is to see a lot of the same stocks in different portfolios because then you've got overlap and you're not getting the benefit of diversification.
2: Now you check that when you build a model for us, you're going through and say, hey, you know, we got two managers seem to be buying exactly the same thing.
3: Right. We have the ability to run a report that shows us all the individual holdings and it shows where they're located in the portfolio so we can always check for overlap and we always do
2: all right so that's important so if they're buying one particular stock right you know and uh, you
3: find because that- we don't want to end up with 10 percent of the portfolio being an apple apple's a great company and i'm by no means recommending it but it's just you know you don't want to have too much concentrated in one stock or one position
2: and that's very very important all right We've talked about all the process so far. You're moving through this deal. I know you're grading things. You're giving out a point structure. You're going through and saying, I'll sign so many points for this and so many points for that. Right. Now you get into where I think you're really the meat and the potatoes of it, expenses.
3: Expenses are incredibly important. You know, when we're talking about investing, we always say control what you can control. And one of the things we can control is the expenses we pay for an investment manager. And this can vary widely. So we're always trying to look for the very lowest expenses. And again, not expenses on an absolute basis, but expenses on a relative basis. So if I've got that U.S. large cap growth manager, how does his expense ratio line up with the other managers in that category? And I always want to see somebody that's in the top 25%.
2: All right. When you put them up in that top twenty-five percent, that's the peer group. Right?
3: That's in their peer group. That's with the other managers in their peer group.
2: So, is this is this dealing? Well, let me walk you through that. How does this? How do you look at performance? Because so many people get caught up in performance.
3: Well, performance is where the rubber hits the road. That's what it's always about when you're making an investment. You want to see the performance, but there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Number 1, again, it's not an absolute number, it's a relative number. Is it fair to compare the performance of my large US large cap growth manager with my manager who's managing in the emerging markets? No, those are not apples to apples. That's a right-handed pitcher and a left-handed <laughs> exactly pitcher. Exactly. Right. Right-handed pitcher yeah. to center field. It tells you absolutely nothing. Totally different ball game. So we want to compare them against their peers and see how they're doing versus their peer group. And we also want to look at risk-adjusted performance. So do we want a performance number? And the guy's just taking on a huge amount of volatility, a huge amount of risk, which can go wrong. So that's why we look at something called the Sharpe ratio, and that's a risk-adjusted performance measure.
2: All right. If you do that and you're going through this process, do you ever spend the time and energy to really dive into that peer group identification? I mean, is that – how critical is that in your thoughts?
3: Well, I think it's very critical. I think understanding the peer group uh, drives all your decision making about how that category is going to perform. And that's, you know, that's more in the context of asset allocation. Do we want that represented in a portfolio? And then you're finding the best individual manager in that peer group to be, to manage that part of your money.
2: But do you ever fire a guy because he drifts down to the 90th percentile?
3: Not because he drifts down and it depends over the time period. So what we will see, especially with active managers, they will go through periods where they're in the bottom of their category, but they go through that because they're positioning the portfolio. And what we're looking for is we're looking for someone with good long-term performance. So we like to see somebody who over a 10-year period is in the top 25% of their category. And we've seen a lot of studies that would say those guys who are, again, the best of the best, top 25% of their category over 10 years at some point are going to be at the bottom of their category, and we do not fire someone for short-term underperformance. So
2: this is not just a throw it up in the air and pick it down and go from there. We know you go through a process. The worst possible thing you could do is
3: fire someone for short-term performance because you're going to fire someone who's down, you're going to buy someone who's up, and then it's going to flip and you're going to get whipsawed. <laughs>
2: You make it sound so easy, and I know <laughs> it's It's not.
3: You know, <laughs> no, it's incredibly guys, complicated. That's guys job security, have done
2: right? A great job misconception of bonds. That's been the first part of the program. How do you go through making selection of mutual funds? That's the second part of the program. Drew Johnson, Keith Quinn. This has been a great program, a lot of information. You, I so much appreciate the fact that you've been with us again. I want to thank my producer and board operator, Gil Worth, guest and, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich, compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong, Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier, and Drew Johnson. Thank you for being a part of Mid-South Moment, Mid-South History, and, of course, thank you for being a part of Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be back next week with more of helping you make the most of your money.
0: Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealers, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.